When I sing that song, I think about I think about what death is. I think about what death is to the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. I think about what death means to the to those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I think even as I have the Holy Spirit in me, how sometimes the thought of death can bring fear to me. It doesn't have to do that because Jesus Christ is our living hope. And yes, while we are going to die, we're going to shed this flesh, we're going to enter into the eternal presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no reason to ever fear death. And if you are with us this morning and you don't know the hope that comes through being in relationship with Jesus Christ, please don't wait another moment. Bow your knee to him right now and give your life to him. And experience the life-giving hope that comes through him. Okay, well here we are once again, um, something brand new for us. And uh, I was just um, speaking with Corey earlier. I don't know why the Lord has chosen me to be the first for a number of different things. Number one, I was the first one to, um, to deliver a message recorded that we then live streamed to you. And uh, then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord saw fit for me to be the first one to, um, to deliver a message outside as we are back in person. What a great privilege that was. And I, and I look forward to the next time, and we pray that it's next week, um, that we get to be together to worship again. And now, here I stand in front of this bank of cameras, and with each camera, there's someone sitting behind it. Um, the only thing that's missing right now is this, like, this bank of Um, microphones in front of me as I announce my candidacy for Ottawa County's Drain Commissioner. And I, you know what, it makes me laugh. I wasn't aware that we need a Drain Commissioner. I thought drains just did their job and uh, it needed no guidance. They needed no guidance. I I have fun with that. I just think it's a funny position that someone would need to be um, elected to the position of Drain Commissioners. And I'm probably right now I'm in a process of humbling myself before you as you watch on, expressing my ignorance for what even a drain commissioner is. But that's where my head goes. So uh, anyhow, this is a really uncomfortable setting for me, so bear with me. Typically when I stand in front of a camera and I misstart, or or I start, things aren't going like this, like I want them to, I can say, hey, Corey, can we start over? And he says, yes. Well, there's no starting over, and so here we go. I am so happy that you are with us today, and uh, it's my hope that the Word of God, that our worship already has touched your heart, and that the Word of God does the same thing. Today, as Charles said, is not going to be an easy one. There's some, uh, there's some toe-stepping that's going to happen, and... Um, And it's my prayer that the Lord, he brings his conviction to you, but there is a level of encouragement that can come from it as we work together to take on the likeness of the person of Jesus Christ. And so here we go. Um, That Living Hope is one of my favorite songs, and I especially love it when I can hear the musicians harmonizing together. We had a discussion. Now, as you all know, um, Charles and Jasper and I, the guys that do the bulk of the preaching, we meet together with Corey. Um, every week, and we talk through what the sermon is going to be. And so as I was talking through uh, the the sermon, I was was speaking with Corey about the different parts of each song, or or the songs that we sing. And and so he assured me that there are four parts. I'm only aware of three, um, but he, of course, is the professional in that, so I'm going to trust him in that. But, But the three main parts are the melody, the rhythm, and the harmony. 
Melody, rhythm, and harmony. And of course, the melody and the rhythm are the things that we can recognize the most. It is, it is kind of the mainstream of the song. It's the most memorable part of the song, and it's the easiest, at least it's the easiest for me to hear and to sing along with. And then comes the harmony. This is what the harmony is. The intention of the harmony is to complement the melody. It's to be a complement to the melody. And some would say it is what takes a song from being simple and turning it into something that is, that is sophisticated and even challenging. Well, when I think about songs that have harmony, there is one that comes straight. The first, if I ask that question, what song to you do you hear and most appreciate the harmony in? The, the one that comes to my mind is Seven Bridges Road by the Eagles. Now, they weren't the ones that um, wrote, they didn't write it. And they weren't the originals to sing it. That was a man by the name of Steve Young in 1969. But the Eagles are the ones that made it famous in 1980 when they recorded it. And here's a real fun piece of information for you. They refused to perform it. They refused to record it unless Steve Young was able to name, and I want to say it was the, the, like the 1970, early 1970s Baltimore Orioles baseball team, name the four starters for that team that, that pitched and won 20 games. All four starters, that's pretty amazing. But they said, we're not going to do this unless you can tell us who those four starters were. Well, I don't know whether or not he was able to, but they did record it. And then that recording, what makes it so spectacular for me, that song, is it's five, it has five-part harmony. Five. I listen to that song over and over and over again, listening for each harmony. And they did that so well that when I listen to it, I really have a hard time deciding or determining what actually is the melody to that song. It's done, it does such an incredible job of complementing the melody that I have a hard time picking out the melody. And I try and sing along to each different harmony that I can hear. And listen, I must have listened to this song a hundred times, trying, and it's still really hard for me. They're, they're so well blended. To the untrained ear, like mine, to the untrained ear, it's really difficult to hear the harmony the first time. I need to hear it over and over and over again. And it's even harder for me to sing along with it, even when I'm hearing it. When harmony is out of step with the melody, it disrupts the melody. It takes away from the beauty of the melody. Have you ever stood next to someone, maybe it was next to me in church, Wendy could bear testimony to that, and heard someone trying to sing the harmony and they're not doing a great job? It, it does. It's a, it, it has a negative impact into the song. Well, listen, today we're going to be talking about harmony and harmony in the church. The harmony of the church, this is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be a complement to the melody and to the rhythm of the, clear, the crystal clear gospel message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, is absolutely unchanging. It is perfect. It is unchanging. It is that which saves. It's that which gives life. It's that which brings harmony and peace. That crystal clear gospel message is what we as the church are supposed to represent, a complement to 
a complement to pointing people to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, again, but Romans chapter 15, um, the Apostle Paul says this, that, that may the God of endurance and encouragement grant us, grant you, the church, to live in such harmony with one another, harmony, in accord with Christ Jesus, the one who brings harmony, that together you may, that we may as the church with one voice declare the glory of God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose, that is our aim as we seek to be in harmony with one another to point to and declare with our mouths, with unity, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now here's what we know, the perfect, perfect harmony will not will not be experienced. We will not achieve it this side of heaven. Why? Because we're all connected to this flesh that wants its own way, that wants to express its own pride, that wants to speak its own word. Harmony is not going to be achieved in its perfection in this side of heaven, but it's something we can work toward together as a church. And so here's the big question. What are the things that threaten harmony? Because there are many things that come into and out of our lives, our own personal expressions, things done to us, things done around us, that challenge our ability to maintain harmony. So the big question for today is, what is it that threatens harmony? And so as we get into today's passage, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now as brothers and sisters in Christ, once again scattered around West Michigan in our living rooms, and it's our great desire that we would hear you speak today. Lord, may it be our desire that we would live in harmony with one another, which is your straight command, as we're we're about to see. Lord, even now, I pray that you would bring conviction to the heart of each one. What What are the things, Lord, that exist in our hearts, our own personal expressions that are, that, that, um, that cause harmony to be a challenge and a struggle? And so, Lord, by the power and the might of your Holy Spirit, knowing each heart, that is involved and engaged in this service today. May you lay your convicting, encouraging, strengthening, healing hand on each heart and meet us all where we are. Declare your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. Are you ready? Romans chapter 12, we're going to meet verses 16 through 18. What are the things that threaten harmony? What is it that threatens harmony? So here we go. Let's read the passage together. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I pray that the Word of God is already beginning to penetrate your hearts. So let's ask this question once again. What is it that threatens harmony? Here's the first one. Here's the first one when we think too much of ourselves. Look back at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. And then Paul says, do not be haughty. Do not be haughty. And if you're unfamiliar with that word haughty, which I'm not too familiar with it, this is what this means. Haughty means this, that you are blatantly, you are a person that is blatantly and disdainfully proud. Blatantly 
and disdainfully proud. Do not be haughty. What does that practically look like? And how do I know if this is me? Are you someone right now that others would say you are disdainfully proud? You are haughty. Now, you might think of yourself in terms of your life in general, and you could say, you know what, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 if I'm dis- disdainfully hot or disdainfully proud, disdainfully um, proud, 1 being not at all, I'm the most humble person I know that everyone else knows. You could say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put myself at a place of 5 because there are situations in my life where I'm more tempted to be disdainfully proud. And then there are situations where I understand I am completely, I have nothing to offer. And I am in a a complete and utter state of humility. Well, I want you to think situationally. Are you an individual that's disdainfully proud? And how do you know that you are? Well, let's put some flesh on that, okay? You could be an individual that's more concerned with this, giving instruction. You're more, more concerned with giving instruction, with giving direction, with giving advice, and less concerned with receiving it. Does that ide- can you identify with that? You are a giver of instruction and direction and advice, and you are less concerned with receiving it. Maybe you would be considered a me monster. I think, and I've shared this with you before, but I think back to my days in high school and college. I personally thought I was such a likable individual that everyone either liked me or should like me. That's what I thought about myself. And now as I look back on that, I have such shame. I have such shame for the way I was as a young man. I pray that the Lord is bringing change in my life in that regard. Are you a person that believes that you have it all going on, that everyone should want to be with you and like you? Everyone wants to hear what you have to say. Does that describe you? Maybe you are an individual. This would describe you if you are a haughty person, if you are disdainfully proud. You are someone that has a defensive spirit and you cannot take or receive critique or correction. Let's put it this way. This is not my quote. It's one that comes from church past. You are an individual that can't see it and you won't hear it. You can't see your flaws. You can't see where you're wrong. You can't see where you need to be humbled. And because you can't see it, you refuse to hear it from others when others bring it to you. And you respond with defensiveness. Can't see it, won't hear it. Are you a person that is defensive? Are you someone that shoulders up to those you believe to be people of influence and you avoid those that cannot reciprocate relationship with you? You shoulder up to ones that you believe will benefit you Does that describe you? How about this? And I've asked you this question before, church. Are you a person that people like to see coming, or are you a person that people like to see going? Do people have to endure you? Do people have to tolerate you? If you can answer yes to these questions, then you are someone that is disdainfully proud, someone that's haughty. And so if this is you, if this is me, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. So what do I do? Do not be haughty, the passage says. Our goal is to live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. The passage goes on to say and gives the answer. This is what we do. We associate with the lowly. So here's the trick question. Who is the lowly person in your life? 
And so if you're right now sitting there thinking, okay, uh, this person and this person and this person, here, here's why it's a trick question. Because you've already, by stating the lowly in your life, you've elevated yourself over them. The goal is to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but you humble yourself before others and before God. You've already exhibited pride if you decided who the lowly are in your life. How about we put it this way? If you're to associate with the lowly, think about it in these terms. Spending time with the one that you would be embarrassed to be seen with. The one that cannot reciprocate relational influence. One that cannot bring a relational benefit to you. Think about who Jesus came for. He didn't come for the clean and the ones that had the appearance of having all, all things together. He came for the ones that were pushed to the margins of society. The ones that didn't look nice. The ones that didn't smell nice. The ones that didn't have things. The ones that couldn't reciprocate relationship. They're the ones that Jesus says we are supposed to hang around with. Think about James chapter 2. James chapter 2, um, James is addressing the sin of partiality, all right? So this is the way it goes. Suppose you are sitting, or, or suppose you have a, an engagement in your life, or, or, or in your home, and you have invitations that you bring to, that you send out to people, and a rich man comes in wearing fine clothes and a gold ring, and you say to him, here's the table, I want you to sit at the head of the table. And then a poor man in shabby clothes, he comes in, and you say to him, I want you to sit at the far end of the table. The passage goes on to say, you've become wrong in your judgment. You've shown favoritism. Where would you situate yourself at that table? Next to the one that you believe would be influence to you, would bring influence to you, or would you sit next to the one that you would be embarrassed to be seen with? What do I do? According to the passage, you spend time with individuals that you would be embarrassed to be seen with that cannot reciprocate relationship like you would want them to. Haughtiness is a threat to harmony. Disdainful pride is a threat to harmony. Let's together, church, see ourselves as lowly and be ones that promote harmony in the life of our church. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. In what areas of your life are you haughty? Home, workplace, where? Let's keep moving, okay? Here's another one for you. What is it that threatens harmony? Here's the, num here's the second one, when we insist on being right. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but, as haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We squabble over the tiniest of things, don't we? Wendy's sitting here with me. She's watching my sermon live, and I'm so happy about that. We squabble over the silliest of things, don't we? Well, I can share this example with you because Wendy and I have overcome this in large part in our marriage. Years ago, this wouldn't have gone as smoothly. And so I'm bringing it up today because we've experienced victory. 
in Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. So when we drive home from church, when we're headed north um, on 31, we have two options. Well, there are other options, but two I'm going to name. We can either turn at Lincoln off of 31 or go further north and turn and go on Ferris to get to Lakeshore Drive to get to our home. Well, Wendy believes that Lincoln is the fastest. I believe that Ferris is the fastest. And it was pointed out to me by one of my sons that you can go 55 on Lincoln and you can only go 35 or 45 on Stanton. But I say Lincoln is longer than Stanton. And they say, but you run the potential of being stopped at the light. There's not a light at, Fer at Lincoln, but there is at Ferris. And so it becomes, it has the potential to be a squabble that what does it even matter? But in our hearts, in our flesh, what do we want to be? We want to express that we are wise in our own sight, that we have the answer, that you are wrong, and that I am not. That's the temptation, that is the tendency for us to express. That's how we express that we are wise in our own sight. I'm going to strike a little closer to home right now. Charles and I were having a discussion about wearing masks. It's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience. People don't like it because it's an inconvenience. Here's what I believe. I believe that people don't like it because they don't like to be told what to do. And when people don't like to be told what to do, guess what they do? They express their freedom of speech. And I want to say this, while I believe that that is one of the greatest freedoms we have in our country, right now I believe it to be one of the most destructive freedoms we have in our country. Everyone's ready to express his own opinion. And so imagine 320 million people in our country with this massive, massive pot full of opinions about how we're supposed to respond to wearing a mask. And then we are supposed to pick and choose whatever opinions we're going to listen to. James tells us that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Our country, and the shame of it all is, in the church, we have become too accustomed to the privilege of expressing our opinions. It's our freedom. But what the Bible tells us is we're to be quick to listen to what other people have to slay, say and slow to speak and slow to become angry. It's interesting he ties anger in with that. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The greatest in that, the greatest provoker of anger is when someone decides, I'm going to express to you how I'm right. Opinions, let's put them down. Let's be quick to listen. We love the sound of our own voice. And here's the danger. Because we love the sound of our own voice, when we hear our voice, when we hear our voice over and over and over again, we become our own authority. We're, tempt we're tempted to start believing in our own opinion before anyone else. We become disdainfully proud. You want to know how you can measure that? If someone in your life is hurting and you provide them with a word of advice, do you walk away with, man, I'm so proud of my advice. If, they, if that doesn't change their life, well, then nothing's ever going to change their life. It should be. Here's the word of advice I have for you. And you walk away, and you are broken by the situation that this person in your life has. You are overcome, and you decide to pray. And, and guess what? You move away from, you're so focused on that person, and praying for them, and caring for them, and loving for them, that you don't even care about your advice. 
You speak it, you let the Holy Spirit take it and use it in their lives, and you just pray and move on. I'm getting ahead of myself, so what do I do? That's one of the things you do. And here's another one. You give up your right to be right. You don't need to be right all the time. Yeah, I should take Lincoln. So what? So what if I think Ferris is three seconds faster? Take Lincoln, Todd. Husbands, take your wife's, your wife's, your wife's suggestion. Husband, do it your wife's way for once. Parents, listen to your children and do it their way every now and then. You want to exasperate your children? Let them know they're always wrong and that you're always right. Do it their way, even if it takes you 10 hours longer. Let them know they are valued. Do not be right in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. Employer, listen to your employees. They're the ones with the feet on the ground. Listen to them. Let them know that their opinion is valued. That, they, that you see the wisdom that they're sharing. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hey, here's another one for you as we move on. What do I do when I want to express that I'm not wise in my own sight? Stop correcting and start encouraging. Stop correcting. Why do we do that? Especially in things that don't matter. Let's stop correcting and start encouraging. Our right to be right threatens harmony. Let's give it up. Let's not be wise in our own sight. Let's not be haughty. Let's associate with the lowly. And then that brings us to a third one, and this is the hardest one for me of all. Oh, my goodness. What is it that threatens harmony? Verse 17 says, when we repay evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Why would he say that? Let's put it this way. There are things that man takes into his own hands in order to express vengeance or revenge. And I want to challenge you with this. When vengeance or revenge is, revenge is placed into the hands of man, it most often, probably always, is evil and comes with evil intent. Because you want to see someone hurt. You want to see someone pay. You want to see someone have to suffer the loss of a pound of flesh. Revenge in the hands of man's, man is evil. Vengeance, on the other hand, in the hands of Almighty God is pure and righteous. Nine years ago, you may remember a young boy, middle teen, his name was Casey Haynes, is Casey Haynes. There was a video recorded of him with another boy that took YouTube by storm. Casey was a big boy, struggled with his weight, and had been picked on it and bullied for throughout the course of his whole life and his whole childhood. And the video goes, there are 
this, this, uh, you have Casey standing with his back against the wall at school, and then you have this littler guy who is the bully picking on him, and it's being recorded by one of his friends, and there's some others standing around. This kid is dancing around like he's Muhammad Ali, and he's jabbing, he's jabbing at Casey. Casey's just standing there taking it. He swings. The kid swings, hits Casey right in the face. His head snaps back, and you see it. Casey stands there, doesn't do anything. He's not doing anything. The other kid comes up, he swings again. Casey blocks it. Now imagine right now, parent, that this is your son. Imagine that this is you. Repay no one evil for evil. I have to I repay no one evil for evil. I watched this video over and over and over and over again. And what, what happened next? I keep praying, Lord Jesus, let it be okay. Because in my heart, I want what comes next to be right. The kid swings. Casey grabs him around the waist. He picks him up. The other kid's head is down. His feet are above Casey's head, and he slams him on the ground. And I, am, I celebrate that. Because if that's my son, that's what I want to see happen. I want it to be right. The kid hit his ankle on a railroad ties. What it looks like is a, um, a piece of a, um, a landscape design. Hurts it. He gets up limping. And, I, and in my heart, I'm like, yeah, right. You deserve it. Casey walks away. End of story. I want it to be right. But my heart declares it's not because I wanted evil for him. Vengeance in the hand of man is evil. It's so hard to trust that to the Lord and trust that to the Lord. Repay no one evil for evil. I want to get past that one. I can't. The Lord, I, I need to confess the Lord's got to change in my heart because I'm telling you, I still love what happened. I confess that as my flesh, and I know the Lord still has some work to do in my heart. I put, the, I put any one of my sons in that position, and that's exactly what I would want him to do, and it's wrong. So what do I do? I wish I had a simple answer for that one. Because it's really hard to know how to teach, to, how to defend yourself and teach your kids to defend themselves without crossing over into evil. The passage has the answer, so what do I do? We give thought. Look at verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Gosh. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here's the measuring stick. Here are some questions to ask before you act. Does my heart desire harm for the other person? If it does, then it's wrong. Don't do it. Is it an act of vengeance? If it's an act of vengeance, if it's your desire to repay someone evil, 
Even if you can make it pure in your mind, it is not because vengeance is the Lord's and he says he will repay. And I pity Jasper because he gets to address that one next week. If it's an act of vengeance, don't do it because it's wrong. You're repaying evil for evil. But give thought then. Do this. Give thought to what is honorable. Now, I know some might say what Casey did was honorable. But in the eyes of the Lord, begin with him. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of our Lord Jesus. Would Jesus call my response honorable? Proverbs 22, verse 3 says that the prudent, the wise one, sees danger and he hides himself. I'm not suggesting that you stand and take a beating without some level of defense. He goes on to say the simple go on and suffer for it. The simple, the fool, will stand there and take his beating. Run from it. Seek help. But would Jesus himself consider what you're about to do to be honorable? Pain. Pain is a great provoker. I sat with a woman who had been mistreated by her husband for years and years and years. And when I asked this woman, do you hate your ex-husband? She sat there in silence for a few seconds and she said, I hate him. And I went further and I said, I asked the question, would you be okay if your ex-husband burned in hell for all of eternity? She sat there for a few seconds and she said, I wouldn't care. I'd be okay with it. Repay no one evil for evil. Does my heart desire harm? Is my, does my heart desire vengeance? Bitterness. Bitterness comes from stuff like that and it leads to a life of conflict. It is not a producer of harmony. If you cannot be at peace, you cannot be a peacemaker. If you cannot be at peace, you will be tempted to repay evil for evil. Repaying evil for evil breaks harmony and that brings us to our fourth fourth thing that, that, that threatens harmony, and this is it. Look at verse 18, when we choose conflict over peace. Verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You cannot, do you, well, the question, we need to begin with this. Do you even care to be a peacemaker? Do you even care to be someone that promotes harmony? You really need to think about that one. Because some have become so accustomed to living with conflict in their lives and so familiar with their own bitterness that they would, rather, they would rather promote conflict because they don't know how else to live. They don't know what to do when it's peaceful. So they provoke conflict. So the big question for you is, do you care to be at peace? You cannot be a peacemaker if you don't know peace. You cannot live in harmony unless you know harmony personally. Hebrews chapter 12 says that see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We need his grace. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. 
If you are living with bitterness, that is the greatest threat to harmony is bitterness in the soul. Why? Because if it takes root, it will spring up and it will cause trouble. You will be a troublemaker. And, the, and, and your trouble brings defilement, it brings sickness, it brings ugliness to the relationships of those that the Lord has placed around you. By it, many become defiled. Where does bitterness come from? It comes from pain. It comes from when things don't go the way I want them to. Think about this. When you repay evil for evil, when you must express I am right and you're wrong to the point where I'm going to see you harmed for it, know this, evil never, ever satisfies. It always leaves you wanting more. Do not repay evil for evil. It doesn't satisfy. It leads to bitterness. It causes trouble. It defiles those that you are in relationship. So Todd, what do I do? You look to the mercies of God. Remember verse 1 in chapter 12, and view of God's mercies. We are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Laying down, laying ourselves down and letting Christ rise up in us. Look to the mercies of God. The other night, Wendy and I were over at Stephen Anna Prince's, and, and uh, their son, Luke, little guy, he, he came up and sat down next to me, and he said, he said, Pastor Todd, he said, if I, if I had a rocket, I want something like this, if I had a rocket to take to heaven, how much fuel would it take? And I said, Luke, no rocket, no rocket's ever going to make it to heaven. So you could have all the fuel you think you need, but you're never going to make it to heaven. I said, the, the rocket doesn't even know the way. I said, only one person knows the way to heaven, and it's Jesus. He's the only one that knows how to get there. So even if you have a rocket, full of, a rocket ship full of fuel, it's not going to make it there because it has no idea how to get there. Only Jesus knows the way. Receive, receive the mercy that comes from the person of Jesus Christ through his cross. Let him break your bitterness and your haughtiness and your desire to be right. And live at peace. Live at peace. Be at peace with who you are before Jesus. You have to know peace before you can express it. No rocket ship, no method of mankind can ever bring you into the peace-giving relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ other than Jesus Christ. He's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the peacemaker. He is the one that brings harmony. If you want to be a peacemaker, lay down your guns, unclench your fists, lay down your bitterness, be someone that's easy to be around, be someone that's actually fun to be around. Be the person that people want to see coming because you are an expressor of harmony and peace. Husbands, make it easy 
for your wife to honor you and be in submission to you. Wives, make it easy to love. Fathers and parents, make it easy for your children to obey. Be one that promotes harmony. Employers, make your employees happy to see you because you are someone that is expressing the harmony that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ. If possible, the passage says, it's not always possible, but as far as it depends on you, you are to live at peace with everyone. You don't have to take the torment on of the broken relationship. How do you know when you are a peacemaker? How do you know when you can be a peacemaker? When you are personally at peace. Yes, there might be brokenness in relationship, but you're not taking on the junk from the brokenness of that relationship because you know you have done everything you can before God at being a peacemaker. Church, we are to live in harmony with one another. We are to not be haughty, but we are to associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We're we're to repay no one evil for evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We want our lives, church, to declare Jesus Christ. And if we as a church are able to live in harmony with one another, we are declaring, we are declaring the gospel message of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and grace and mercy to each other and to the world as it's watching on. We become attractive and and harmonious. Our harmony declares, points people to, complements the message of Jesus Christ, the melody. It's more important for me to be in harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's more important for me to be in harmony with the unsaved than it is for me to be right. Romans 2 verse 4 says that his loving kindness is what leads people to repentance and that should be our goal. Am I someone that promotes the loving kindness of our Savior Jesus? So, ask yourself this question, is what I'm about to do an expression of the loving kindness of our Savior Jesus Christ? If anyone deserved to respond with aggression towards those that wronged him, to the injustices done to him, it's our Savior Jesus Christ. Yet when he was, when he was poked and provo- provoked and whipped and beaten, he remained silent. Let's take on the likeness of our Savior Jesus. Let's be at peace. Let's entrust ourselves to our faithful Savior. And let's be in harmony. Thank you so much, Lord, for your incredible word. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in view of your mercies to receive the mercy that comes in relationship with you and then be promoters of harmony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. would seem impossible if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit to convict and to help to empower us to do this 
must increase. We must decrease, but he must increase. So let's offer our hearts to worship. Let's yield to him and ask him to do this in our hearts. You came to the world you created. You're trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. Your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came to serve. You willingly died, your innocent life paid the cross. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. You are my life and my treasure. One that I.
So, of course, we need to end with this question. Are you living, do you, are you experiencing personal harmony? Like, are you in a harmonious relationship with Jesus Christ? If you are not, it's time to take care of that. Because you will never be a proponent of, you will never live a harmonious life. You need to experience it first. And then, this is the hard one, this is the hard one. Who in your life are you not in harmony with? And I bet it's this, it's the one right now that you don't want to come to mind. Like don't don't let don't push that don't push that name out of your head. Receive it. And then commit to doing something about it. Hey, listen, I know this. I know it takes years for sometimes years for hurts to be made right. I know it takes years for harmony to be returned. But I would ask you this. Well, first of all, it doesn't need to be Even if you don't think you're wrong, reach out. Even if you don't think you've been proud or haughty or arrogant or or an expressor of your opinions, even if that's not been you, still reach out and look to promote harmony. Listen, Summit, you are loved. We're so glad that you joined us today. Pray and we look forward to the hopeful um, return of our gathering outside next Sunday. So I pray to that end and know this church, once again, you are loved. See you next week.